You're listening to the Frugal Spender Podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Frugal Spender Podcast. This is episode 33. And today I've got another treat for you, a conversation with a great guest to talk about all things money and personal finance related. Today's guest is certainly multi-talented to say the least. He is a professional opera singer, public speaking coach and a personal finance podcaster. Today I'm speaking with Joshua from The Art of Money Saving. Joshua is passionate about sharing other people's financial stories on his own podcast, so I wanted to have him on to discuss his story and as usual, many other topics too. Before we get into it, if you are enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review on whichever platform you listen on, as it really helps us rise to the top of the rankings and in turn reaches more people. Okay, without further ado, let's get into our conversation. Joshua from The Art of Money Saving, how are you? I'm not too shabby, thanks. Yourself? I'm very good. It's good to speak to you again, because the last time we had a proper conversation was actually the first ever podcast I ever did. Um, no yeah, it was. I did not know that. Yeah, because at the time I was still in the police and I think the subject we covered was what it's like doing what I was doing because I think I was on the quite early on creating content um, and what that was like being a police officer and how that managed. So it's quite cool to have my own podcast now and to have you as a guest. Before we go any further, anybody um, likes this podcast, I'm hoping if, you, if you're listening, um, go and listen to Joshua's podcast because it's brilliant and you've done it far longer than I have. You're far more experienced at this talking um, about money than I am. So uh, yeah, so yeah, thank you for getting me into the idea of podcasting because I think probably you can get a lot of credit for that. Oh, that, that's very, very kind. I mean, I'm a self-confessed podcast addict. I just absolutely devour anyone that talks about not just personal finance, but anything that's educational. I love the the long form discussion of of podcasting because it, it it just feels like it seeps into your into your soul you can do mm. your your washing up your your ironing whatever you're doing and just listen to all of this information and it's it's a fantastic way of of learning and i think it was about a year ago that i had you you on around november time so yeah like so i i i had left I, I handed my notice in, in the police in December. So yeah, it must've been pretty quickly after that. And to be honest, it was a pretty quick decision. So even when I spoke to you, I didn't even know I was, I was going to leave. So it happened okay, all. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it all happened quite quickly. So, you know, a lot of changes in a year and what you say about sort of podcasting and audio, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I listen, I'd, I'd hate to know. Luckily I've changed apps because I think you can probably find out how many hours you've listened to podcasts on certain apps, but probably for the last I reckon 10 years, I've consumed a podcast every single day, whether it's YouTube or uh, I don't know, Spotify or whatever, whatever I've used over the years, but it's changed, you know, every, every few months I change it, who knows why. But um, I, like you said, doing the washing, just cleaning, just going to the gym, driving, I just consume nothing but audio. I wonder if that's, um, if that's good or not. Well, in my own humble opinion, what I what I tend to notice is that for me, podcasts are very educational. So I will come away, not always, because you know, if particularly if it's about money, I'm listening to this subject all the time. But 
I will find myself coming away having learned something that I didn't know. And I can't say the same necessarily always of TikTok, Reels, mm. that, that short form content. For me, that's more entertainment. And therefore, that's why I really love podcast because it's also a form of entertainment but i definitely come away having learned something and look credit to you i think you're doing a great job on the podcast and whenever an episode comes out i'm always thinking oh yeah i've got to go and listen to that straight away loving the the interview style it's fantastic but also the the solo episodes are very well scripted to the point and you mm. get that information across really well so credit to you yeah, that's very kind of you. Um, I, I just think this, the podcasts that I've always enjoyed have always been, you know, same to you, the sort of conversational style. Yes, having a structure to what you talk about is a good thing to do, but converse, that's not real. And that's why I think podcasts are good because it's real. And the reason why I think you probably learn something every episode from whatever you listen to is because you're not just focusing on one thing. Wherever the conversation goes, like a real conversation, it takes you down some sort of weird rabbit hole potentially. And you go, actually, oh, yeah, that's, oh, I've never thought about that. So yeah, no, I couldn't agree more when it comes to that. Yeah. I wanted to start our episode though, um, with your journey leading up to where you are, because you've heard mine. Um, and even though I've consumed a lot of your content, I don't think I know the full reason why you create money about uh, create content about money, or kind of why you continue to create content about money. Yeah, so I'm happy to to go through my my journey. I hope that it's interesting for people. And like you said, I, I think that's what's most interesting about any person's money story is their own individual take on 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 their journey so i grew up in in south wales and from a young age i was interested in money i just had a, a passion for it had lots of the side hustles you know the paper rounds i was always jealous of people that had jobs one of my best friend was a dishwasher in a pub <laughs> telling me that he was getting whatever it was five pounds an hour and Whoa, i was inherently, <laughs> inherently jealous i thought oh you know why why can't i go out and, and get a job as my childhood went on I, i'm a professional musician now my weekends were mostly taken up with with studying or going to music lessons or drama classes whatever it was so there was always that decision where I was torn in, in some way where I wanted to do something, but I also realized that I had to practice and go to the to, to the lessons. But whether it was carol singing, paper rounds, selling sweets in school, I had this this interest in money. Now home for for me was a, a very interesting place because I hear on so many podcasts, the people that I interview, that that money is that subject of shame. But my lived experience couldn't be further from the truth because one of it's rare for sure and it's bizarre. But we we speak about money all the time and we still continue to do that. We have an open conversation about money. Uh, when we see each other, we just we just catch up and we say, oh, even at the moment, it's cost of living. We have that we have that conversation with each other. So that was apparent from from childhood. But one thing that really stands out to me, and I, I think you'll find this interesting is that I had no idea or concept of the, the idea of debt. I didn't know that debt existed because we as a, a family, we didn't have a lot of money and we lived frugally and below our means, but we paid for everything with cash. We had secondhand cars. The car thing really stands out to me. I'm not a car fanatic at all, but we had 
beat up cars. They were they were not nice, uh, but they they did the job. And I noticed that other people were were driving around in their BMWs, their Mercedes, and I thought, wow, you know, other people have so much money. And really, wasn't until I was eighteen or nineteen or something that I realized that these are not paid with cash that people loan the money to to buy these things they're paid on monthly installments mm. and there's actually a, a much smaller minority of people that are buying cars like that with with cash that's interesting i guess the concept of debt is i mean it's got to be societal isn't it because there was no way you know before we created anything that resembled society at the moment was there a way for people to kind of owe each other with an OI, an IOU that they could document before we were writing stuff down on I don't know, papyrus? What were people what were people doing before that? They traded things and it was all about bartering. So that's interesting that you kind of never even comprehended the idea. I mean, obviously, the fact that your parents probably didn't discuss it or talk about having credit cards and that sort of thing helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was that realization for you then, when you when you saw BMWs driving around uh, when you're a teenager, and you see actually these people have the ability to get something way above what they can actually afford to pay outright? Did you not feel tempted to to go and do that yourself? It, it was interesting. So I had a fantastic childhood full of so many happy memories, and my parents fought really hard to make sure that the things that I was good at in school so music for example that I went I had music lessons and and things like that so so many things to be thankful for but in those moments where you would step into someone else's car or go to someone else's home there was definitely definitely that feeling of of wow this is an upgrade (laughs) this is Mm. not what we get at home and how did I feel about that? I think what well, it made me very flexible, which I think is a really important skill to have. That stays with me to this day, where I, I float around in my profession. I have these strange experiences where, as an opera singer, I might go for a, a meal in a in a posh place or something very fancy, and then the next day I'm getting my bargains down at the supermarket. I float in between these, these two worlds, mm. I'm very comfortable doing that, but I did notice as 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 a child that that when you when you step back into that that house that maybe isn't as perfect or as lovely as what you've just mm. been, the transition is a little bit a little bit difficult. But you you have great parents at home and that love you, and that that that's what counts. I guess that was what I was thinking at the time. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Um... I mean, it's a subject that I talk about a lot in my personal life and also on the podcast and pretty much anyone who creates content about this. It's all about your relationship with money as a child growing up, what you saw your parents do just really affects so much um, your outlook on money, what you, you know, that trigger point of at 18, potentially or 19, when you get your first sort of actual income that potentially you can go out and buy your own stuff. And you see some of your mates driving BMWs or seeing people on the road and you think, actually, that's only three, four hundred pounds a month. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I can do that. You know, it's so easy for people to slip into that if they don't have that sort of conscience on their shoulder going, actually, that's probably not a smart move because it's all about, you know, they're doing it. I'll look I'll look less worthy if I don't have that thing. And it does feel nice when you step into a BMW or you step into an expensive car. It does. That's the whole point. And 
it's not to say you can't have those things, but you have to be able to afford it. And if you're not taught that just because you have that income to pay the monthly payment, that doesn't mean you can afford it. That just that, otherwise nobody would have it because if, if you could just buy it outright, very few people would be buying it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that I think that is an interesting part of the puzzle that is missing. And certainly I go on, going to have children. That's something that would be part of the conversation for me is explaining that these things exist, but this is how it, how it functions. And that's why some people have it. Some people can afford it, but some people put it on credit as well. And I think that that would have been helpful, but I think these these this conversation and and the the way that I well, grew up in this circumstance has served me well certainly in my my adult life and there was a there was a sense of importance put on money and I, I can remember for example my my first job when I was seventeen or eighteen however old I was I can remember every Monday morning I would go down to the town back in the day mm. and I would put thirty pounds. 30 hard-earned pounds in my saving account. I remember feeling such pride that I was making my own money. And I this whole routine of just going down to the town and physically putting it there was, I just felt really proud of that. And that, that, that I think that's really where the, the journey of interest in money started to, to begin. I did not have that experience. I, <laughs> despite my mum's, best intentions and advice i remember actually when i first when i got my first paying job she always said to me and actually looking back she she tried to educate me um she even said give me give me 10 percent of what you earn i'll keep it away i'll keep it set aside and then in the future uh, for some unassigned reason she'll give it back to me and i was like no I'm, I'm okay thanks i i will keep and i just i just didn't even entertain the idea that it was a sensible thing to do at that time when life is just about the now it's about going out the weekend with my mates it's about you know yes i was working and i've never been shy of work i've always been hard working but i always equated hard hard work to um just having enough to live that for me was always the equation mm. there was never like work really hard, have some surplus, keep that to the side. That can be future money or fun money or go and do whatever you want money. It was just whatever came in that month at the end of the month. And I was always looking forward to it because I was always a couple of weeks away from being either being in an overdraft or using a credit card or something like that. So it was always whatever came in right without doing a budget, obviously, why would I do that? That's, you know, that's not a sensible thing to do in my mind, I'm spending that money. I'm like, it's, it's, it gets to zero, well, minus zero in my case, but not having, despite knowing that I should do it and the culture, even though when say as a society, we are big savers. Like I think a lot of the, far, you know, a lot of the Eastern countries that is part ingrained in their culture, whether it's from religion or whatever, or just, just the society, you know, it's just normal to put money aside. Whereas in ours, it just isn't. And I think that comes from, as soon as you leave school for me it was anyway that was my experience in, in the uk it was very much now you've got a job now you can start buying nice things and luckily i never earned enough money to buy nice things like i never had enough of a salary to have that bmw but my word i would have that's interesting i i, I think that what is 
what is interesting, first of all, is we've we've arrived eventually at similar points in our in our mindset, but starting at very different mentalities. Mm. But what I wanted to say as well is that from my perspective, one of the dangers of that childhood mentality is although there was a, an importance put on money is important, we must put this money aside and we must live below our means, there was the mentality of putting aside X amount is never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough to get to that BMW lifestyle, that Mercedes lifestyle. Mm. Anything can happen at any point in life and everything will be taken away. And I don't think that that's a logical way to think. And that's something that I'm trying to to change now as I get older to be more responsible, but to make sure that I don't have this, as Robert Kiyosaki was would call a poor man's mindset, where mm. we're always thinking of, of the negatives and what could go wrong. And that inevitably can stop you from taking any type of calculated so-called risk. And that, that's something I, I try to adapt and and renew in my in my 30s now. Well, that's the whole reason why I've called my company Frugal Spender, because it's trying to find that balance of mentally and also with, you know, financially being able to spend money, but also realizing that you need to save and you know there's times to be frugal but frugal doesn't necessarily mean cheap it just means you've got to keep some of your money but then you have to spend it so it's an internal battle for me too and i think that i derailed that whole mindset of mine where i'm just going to spend the money now and i've gone definitely the opposite direction um definitely the opposite direction more more so the mindset you were just talking about there i have to rein myself in and say actually um yes i've saved a bit of money here but i've feel even still to this day struggled sometimes to pull the trigger to buy something mm-hmm. even if i have the money to do it and it's not again it's not extravagant things like even if um i talk about styling quite a lot i'm a big fan of theirs so i've put we've got a spaces function for um a holiday and every month we put away you know a couple of hundred pounds for a holiday there's money in that account now we're 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 getting married next week actually um oh, wow. and we uh, legally and then we get f- properly married on new year's eve so it's, we've got she's a wedding planner so we have to have two weddings obviously <laughs> um so the beginning of next year we're um we're going to paris for a few days and then we're going to go on our proper honeymoon at the end of the year there's money sitting in that account mm. and i feel the friction of going and spending that money it's there it's, it's dedicated for that yeah, I still feel it because my long-term mindset, because I've learned about investing, I've learned about compound interest, I've learned about all these magical things that unless you actually think about, you don't really think about, unless it's forced upon you to go, actually, look, look at the numbers here. If you put this away, that away, you know, at this percent over the year and it compounds this so much you'll have, my mind is, is, is in that because I started when I was 29, 30, when I started doing this stuff. So I feel like I'm behind. So I'm think I need to put every bit that's you know on the side. I need to put that into investments. But that's like you said, it's not logical. So is there anything that you find? I know sound like potentially um, trying to get out of that mindset of just the future is probably something that you struggle with as well, based on what you just said. Is there anything that any tricks that you do or know of to kind of be able to pull that trigger? Well, first of all, having having a wife helps because she, she just says we're spending the money. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I, I find that actually ha- has been very helpful. But having someone that look, she's 
frugal as well to, to some extent and very responsible financially but she likes to spend money on, on nice things and I she will suggest something and then I will go away and I'll, I'll think and I'll always try and rationalize this in the best way possible but I think our, our hearts are aligned a little bit there where mm. I have the same mentality and struggles what I have noticed however is that one thing that's very important for me and you've You've said that you're going to go to Paris and then another holiday, whatever. I have noticed that the pace of spending money is very important for me. So if it's to blow five grand in four days, that would be a problem for me. But if mm-hmm. we say we got five grand, let's go for this weekend trip. This it feels like you're getting more of a more of a value. So that's something I've communicated to Irina and my wife. And mm-hmm. um, look, there are going to be some occasions where you you have to to spend that money and that's what it is. But my preference always is to, to get that, that value and an experience as much as you can for, for what you, what you pay. And one other thing you mentioned Starling for anyone that does have a Starling bank, when you go into your, your app and you see your, your account, give your app just a little bit of a shake. And this happened to me totally by surprise uh, two days ago. You might, might find that something happens there. Oh, giveaways. Oh, I've, I have, I'm not aware of this. There you go. Merry Christmas. I will. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it immediately after, and if I'm pleasantly surprised, I'll I'll put it on my Instagram stories. <laughs> um, that's interesting. That what you said about the velocity of money or the speed at which you kind of like spend it. That's definitely true for me too. Because when if I and it's almost like a internal mental calculator or bank that i'm kind of i'm keeping track yeah. even though i'm not keeping track well i am because i'm budgeting but i'm not i'm you know just the day-to-day if i if i go to the shop um and then you know a direct debit comes out of my bank account and then i have to go and spend money later on even though I've, you know i knew those transactions were going to happen because i've because i've been there and witnessed these things happening that velocity is almost too quick i want to i want to put the brakes on slow down right stop spending money and then like you said my logical brain it kicks in and i go right stop right look at the budget look at the budget do we have enough money for this even though we definitely do because i budgeted it last month it's kind of like i am so afraid of getting back into to what i was so even though i talk about this stuff all the time and um if i try and help somebody with budgeting or their finances i will ex- you know, logically i can explain all this stuff but you've got to remember most of this is about emotion and psychology. It's not. It's not just as simple as spreadsheet in and out. No, no. Human behavior is a massive part of of money, and uh, that came as a big surprise to me when starting to learn about about finances of how much is unpredictable is our is our behavior essentially, and we can make good financial decisions. We can make bad financial decisions that can hurt us for a long time in a, in a split second. But yeah, the, the speed at which we we spend money that's something I think about. My way of of counterbalancing that is just to be just to be aware of that. So if there is a point where it's five hundred gone in a day and it's gone quick. I recognize, okay, I'm a bit uncomfortable with that, but I try to use my rational brain to process it, what's happening. This happens a lot for me. And one of the difficulties where I feel sorry for Arena is if I'm, if I got a, a last minute 
job as a as a singer for example so over the last couple of months i've been traveling a lot so it's uh you know uh, f- four flights in a day a hotel and this and that you're racking up 600 700 pounds on the credit card in one day for for business expense hmm. i don't unfortunately my internal systems aren't able to it feels like your money but yes because it because it is i mean even though it's it's the business hmm. I've I've paid that that seven hundred and it it will come back one day, but that's probably going to when I recollect my expenses maybe in two three months time. You see, mm-hmm. so, uh, and then if I see that Arena wants to make a purchase or and that's when the yeah. it's attention. So it's just about communicating about about that and and not making snap snap ju- judgments and understanding your own behavior. And I guess. I feel parts of that because now that I'm self-employed um, very much have a separate business account and you got to make purchases on that. And I definitely resonate with it kind of feels like, even though it is technically your money because it's the business, it still feels like it's come from our personal or joint accounts. It still feels like, Oh, we spent a lot of money here. Yeah. I guess that's one of the mental struggles with being self-employed versus the guaranteed PAYE, your tax has been taken out this is yours manage that mm, yeah it, this is a massive subject but for a bit of context so i had my my first job in domino's pizza when i was 17 or 18 and i absolutely loved it but that i think off the top of my head was my only experience really of a of an employed position in 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 that sense and since then i was always self employed hopping from one job to the other and I know one of my favorite podcasters is is Andy Hard, and he talks about this on on his podcast that being being self employed does give you that that drive. You're always looking to to network. You're looking for your next clients. If you're suited to that lifestyle, it makes you very much feel alive. And being employed is it's a very different lifestyle. There is that predictability. There is you know what you're going to get paid at the end of the month, and I'm employed, uh, sorry, I'm self-employed, Arena is employed. And it's very interesting to to compare notes with each other and notice those difference in financial mentality. Mm. Whereas I'm, oh, even if I get a, a big lump sum from a contract that I've just done, I'm still going, particularly with recency bias with COVID, mm-hmm. if my income gets lost, I need to live off this for X number of months. So that's always at the back of your mind. But on the other hand, you're always grafting. You're looking for the next, the next relationship and putting your yourself out there. And one other thing that I like to say, which I find very interesting and helpful, is that this online community. So from starting podcasting, understanding the the personal finance community since 2020, basically, I've learned so much not just to do with money but creating content knowing how to make an instagram post i made so many mistakes but Mm -hmm. learned so many lessons as well and i'm able to take those same principles now and apply apply them to my own business and that's been really helpful because it makes me realize that in my own business i have certain biases or certain ways that i do things that are just set in stone i've started to change those and think well no, like ev- everyone else online. So, for example, it, 
classical music industry can sometimes be maybe five or six years behind. So if I look at big theatres and their social media accounts, they're posting these really long form videos that just no one will watch, quite frankly. And I think, why are they doing that? And I, I then realise, well, I've been doing the same. Like, why am I doing a carbon cutout of what everyone else is doing rather than being an individual and and tailoring things. So that's really started to impact my my own business as well. And I think that's the heart of being self-employed is being adaptive, learning to just change it up and being willing to to learn and and say yes to to lots of opportunities. Yeah, I think self-employed life is definitely not for everyone despite how much i tell everybody i think they should at least explore it even whether it's with a side hustle or a passion of theirs that they want to pursue it's definitely worth testing the water because up until a year ago all i've ever known is employed life um security i suppose although at the time i wouldn't say it felt like it was security but yeah you had you know you could forget about when you're getting paid and it will it'll happen. Whereas now I have to pay myself or get paid by, you know, somebody who I'm working with. So I, a bit like my money being poor with my finances, I can still remember exactly what it felt like having that security. So having adapting to, I mean, I'm a driven person anyway. So, you know, the self-employed life, I think does suit my personality, but it definitely that anxiety almost of like, never switching off that's definitely something that um self-employed people can definitely fall into the trap and i think georgie and i because we're both self-employed we don't have that income that security of a job and i left a job that was you know during covid couldn't be more secure i mean it wasn't high paying but it was secure so even though it feels a bit unpredictable i think our mindsets are suited quite well to it. And I think you need to ask yourself if you're considering going self-employed, is this for me? And I don't know about your thoughts, but testing the water with a side hustle. And, and if, if you're getting some traction, getting some traction. Okay. And then there'll be a tipping point and what, you know, for everyone, it's a bit different. Um, whatever that tipping point is, you go, yes, right. I'm it's worth taking the risk. Now it's whether it's having an emergency fund on the side, which you should have anyway, but having that store of money there, if you get no income for three to six months, you're going to be okay. And I think that's what I would advise people to do, whether they're self-employed or going self-employed or not. But having that buffer there gives you that freedom in your mind and in your life to go and take a risk. And realistically, going self-employed is always a risk, isn't it? So it's whether you put yourself in a position where you, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and having that buffer is is a very important thing to have. From my, from my own perspective, Knowing that I have an amount of of cash aside that can weather those storms completely changes your mentality when when self-employed. Now, if I didn't have that, I would be finding self-employment more more difficult, more unpredictable. There's much more pressure to find solutions. But I agree with what you're saying. But I don't don't think unless you're very very young and just out of school and you're able to stay stay at home with mum and dad. I would never advise to drop everything and head straight into self-employment. You want to see where you are now, build a bridge to where you want to be, test the waters. It's like that classic thing of when you've got a new hobby, buy all the gear and have no idea. Mm. And you've you've got to build a bridge from where you are and and to where you want to be. And then hopefully that you'll 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 get there. 
And I remember Andy Hart talking about this as well, is that the older that you get, there's a much less likelihood of you actually making the jump because your pay increases or you mm-hmm. you have kids or you have a mortgage and these layers start adding up. You go, I, I can't do that. I've got this steady job. And I found that really, really fascinating. I think it takes a certain type of person to step away from the main job in their 40s or 50s, for example, say, I'm, I'm starting afresh. And I, I think that's amazing, but probably less likely. Yeah, getting building up a bit of a pension, um, like you said, higher pay. And also, as you get older, you just get more set in your ways, don't you? It's just the reality of you kind of think, oh, you know, 40s or 50s, I think, if I had learnt what I've learnt when I was 30, maybe at 40, 50, would I have done it? Probably not. Would If it was what I was passionate about was money, definitely wouldn't have done it. Because I think the reason why I, I, my mindset shifted almost 180 degrees was because I felt confident about money. I don't think if, if it was another passion that I had, I would have had to learn about money first and have an emergency fund and have all those things in place financially because I would have always convinced myself that it was too risky. Yeah. Like I, I just would have always. But you're you're a very good example of this this working where you you discovered personal finance, paying off debt, you have an interest in it, you started to create content, you did that in collaboration with your job. And then eventually after some years, you thought, oh, okay, this there's a decision to be made there. And you made the decision. Mm-hmm. And it, it would have been foolish for you to make that same decision two years earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think, but that's somehow in, in our irrational brain, that's what we want ourselves to be able to, to achieve is to make these big gestures in life with actually not having the, the, the substance or, or experience to be able to justify them. Well, it's romantic, isn't it? It's romantic to go, yeah. oh, I'm going to put everything oh, on the line. Yeah. I'm going to put it all on the line and I'm going to go. And I think, speaking of side hustles, I think we should probably get a bit more into side hustles, but there's definitely, from my perspective, a toxic side hustle culture in many ways that it's all about. Um, and Andrew Tate's probably a good example of this in the sense that it's very like, you know, go out there and just do it, you know, you know, crypto 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 not that he talks about crypto necessarily but that that sort of for me is all the same sort of culture it's and it's a lot of young and in particular males um that are attracted to that and i see it all the time on instagram i even get people messaging me who have that mindset um i think it's quite dangerous because i think even though it's good that when they're young they are thinking about potentially setting up a business or making money there is it's not even a fine line it's quite it's quite a thick line i think between wanting to be this go-getter pushy salesman young crypto 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 andrew tate andrew tate to um finding something you're passionate about and testing the water and learning how to create content and then you know because like you said it's it's a process that takes a long time and it's trial and error whereas a lot of people think that with people like and a not just solely singling Andrew Tate out here, but his, what he does, people think they can just replicate what he does and just go out there and be the most controversial talk about this. What index funds? No, you're an idiot. Crypto. There's more money to be made in crypto. And they're just carbon copies of each other. And I come across them all the time. And I think for me, that's that side hustle culture, like on steroids. Yeah. 
I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few weeks so about this identity of what people say on 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 social media in the news and how how it how I process that information how other people process that information and I haven't quite made my mind up about it yet I'm still figuring it out that's that's for sure but my last guest on the podcast Sam Norris he had a lot to say about this about the, the importance of a positive mental attitude and that really resonated with me and i also saw a clip on tiktok or something one of these street interviews of this 85 90 year old gentleman however old he was and i can't remember what they the, the person asked him but his response was about what you tapped into so resilience just getting on with it and we we get we get scared of saying that but when i heard this guy say just get up and, and do it. He was like, when I was when I was your age, the the bombs were going off and all of this was happening, and I got up and I did. I was like, I had so much respect for him. But on the other hand, I I hear what you're saying, and that there is a balance to life, isn't there? That sometimes you have to recognize when things aren't going right, or whether you you're not going to make that progress that you always dreamt of, and you you're living in a dream world. So I like to be as much of a realist as as possible but i i do think that there is something about for certain surrounding yourself if you've got a, an idea uh, that is that is important to you such as personal finance and that's of interest to you if you do surround yourself with people that are saying similar things then you're more likely to stay on that that track and and i think that's a conscious decision but with social media maybe it's harder to to police that the traffic that these voices are coming in that are maybe a little bit unhelpful but you're not consciously noticing that and then that's affecting your behavior and, and so on mm -hmm. so on so it's it's a it's a difficult one to to address but but ultimately i think it means for from my life it means asking myself what, what is social media how much time do i spend on it what voices do I want to hear there? I'm someone that likes to hear both sides of the coin as well, you know, mm. lots of different ideas. But yeah, it's 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 a complicated one. Controversy rises to the top though, doesn't it? The 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 clickbaity content is what does well. Um there's very few um content creators, especially in the personal finance space worldwide, that are just just saying um, have an emergency. I mean, other than maybe Dave Ramsey and a, there's a couple, but yeah. giving that sort of old school conservative advice of, you know, play it safe almost, but then you can also build wealth over time because it's not sexy and it's not, it doesn't necessarily get you millions of views on TikTok. What does yeah. do it is by saying something clickbaity and getting in front of you. And, and then, you know, the more people that watch it, the more content that you see of that. And then you get into an echo chamber of, Whatever. I mean, it's not even to say that like things like crypto and healthy, because I, like I, I have some Bitcoin, so I, I can't say I'm against it. But I think when your sole objective is to try and push people into a space and not give a, like you said, a fair, balanced, this is, this is what I think the average of you know, maybe 90% of people should be doing by index funds for the long term, cost average, and forget about it. Because that is realistically, most people aren't spending as much time as we are learning about this stuff so and it does require a lot of you know reading the news and understanding what's going on to be in that kind of trading crypto you have to be you know ingrained in it 
most people just want to live their life and just kind of go to work and have their fight and not worry about their money all the time. So for the most people, that sort of sound advice is what most people need. Yeah, but but saying making a video saying put your money for 30 years into uh, an index tracker and you may get rich. That's not something that, that excites people. And that that's part of the problem and, and actually a very, very interesting point. So talking about side hustles, one of my side hustles was one of my ideas when I, when the lockdown happened was to start the art of money saving. And initially it was very broad. I tried my hand at YouTube and Instagram as time has has gone on, it it's reduced itself now just to the podcast because I've identified that's what I'm most passionate about. I think that's where I have the most interesting conversations. But also because of this this need that I noticed that the big YouTube accounts, it's to get those views, you're having to to create those those clickbait titles, and it just doesn't doesn't sit well with me because I don't think that that serves people the best in their financial plan. So that's why I eventually scaled back and made it made it a hobby because I think for me, if it's a hobby, I can make sure that that people get uh, lots of different varying opinions. and that that definitely, from my perspective, changes it as well. So if, for example, if I was focused on getting the best podcast guests in the world, maybe I wouldn't have much success because they think, oh, this this person, when I first started the podcast, let me start this again. When I first started the podcast, I was approaching some big account saying, I've just started my, my podcast. Would you like to come on? No interest whatsoever. Mm-hmm. What I really love is I can find someone on Instagram with 20 followers and they've still got a super interesting financial story that is very compelling and, and convincing to tell. So for me as a hobby, I don't need someone with a, a million subs to come on my podcast because I just want normal people sharing their their story. So that's a it's, it's a nice thing for me, but also it made me realize where my strengths are and to focus those strengths on, on other things, other little business ideas, which is what I've been doing uh, in the pandemic really so starting up a, a public speaking business that's one of the things that really took off and it's this is a tell me more about that yes that's, i find that quite that's that's a quite unique side hustle yeah so this is an important point actually because going back full circle to where we where we started the, the podcast about that importance of living below your means and having financial discipline so when the lockdown happened and my my income was absolutely hammered so all the shows were, were cancelled all of my predicted income was just it was just gone and i still had all had those those bills still to come to pay and i i could weather the storm however voices like for example dave ramsey were in my ear go get a job at a pizza shop go to the supermarket and i thought yeah that's that sounds good. That sounds like the right thing to do because you get your work ethic. You're you're doing good for society. Fine. So I applied for a couple of jobs, you know, Asda and Lidl and Argos. Everyone else was doing the same thing, right? Didn't even get a response. Really? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, you know, dark days of 2020. The height, yeah, the height yeah, of the yeah. pandemic. So I, I had to I had to rethink and say, do I continue to to try and 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 plug the gap? and see how this goes or do I try and start something think of ideas that could actually serve me 
for a longer time. And that's when I started to plant the seed of the, the public speaking coaching. I didn't really know anything about it, but I I just started teaching for a really small fee, almost like starting for free to get to gain that experience. And then over time, it's it's started to to build up. And the great thing about that is now when I travel the the, the world singing, take my laptop with me, and whenever I'm off work or got a got a free day. I can log in and continue to teach people. And that I think that's a it's a really important point for me because I had I gone straight on in and got that job in, in Tesco's or Argos, I would have earned two grand over X amount number of months and and stopped the job and never had any more income from that. And it's wonderful that I've found something that I'm still able to draw uh, an income from. One of the frustrating things about a side hustle and being self-employed is where do you start and where do you stop? <laughs> so my main job is as a as an opera singer. That's what I do. But inevitably, there are there are highs and there are lows in that career. There are parts of my diary where I'm busier than others, and that's when it's great to be able to have some clients to teach. In my heart of hearts, I would love to try and scale up this business and to take all of those things that I've learned from the personal finance experience and plug that all in your website, YouTube, Reels, mm. build it up. I just, I just don't have the, the time to be able to do that, and and that's my sticking point where I'm a little bit guilty. I think there, there is a halfway house. Currently, I use a platform to teach. Now, if that platform were to die tomorrow. It wouldn't Come. do me much. Yeah, it wouldn't do me much good. And my entire side hustle business would be would be lost. That would be a great shame. So more fool on me, really. So I need to I have tried to to find this this balance before, but then I end up getting a bit busier. So that's always the dilemma as a self-employed person, finding this 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 balance. But hey, what about you? What what do you think about that? Because I'm sure you can relate to having two businesses in the in the same household and I think you. I think it's all about diversification, isn't it? And that translates to index funds and investing and personal finance in general. But the fact that I think the thing I like about side hustles is that it gives you those multiple income streams and it gives you different options. So you might have a full time job for the average person probably listening probably has a full time job where it's a guaranteed income coming in. But then you can also take that risk, even if it's a small risk. Even if, because you you being on one platform for your um, public speaking sort of teaching, that is risky, but it's not really because you have income from, you know, your singing and all the other things that you do on the side. So the the fact that you, you're thinking of it just in that one space, but actually you are applying that sort of um, idea of diversification across all of your income. It's so true. I think, and that's what I like about side hustles is it is giving you different options and like when it comes to creating content like creating content for your public speaking by by doing a youtube doing a tiktok doing an instagram whatever it you know shorts you try some short snappy clips they don't work some long form oh they work okay i'm going to kind of put all my eggs into that basket and then it explodes which is what you've done with your podcast which is you've realized that's where i get the the most bang for my buck because i enjoy it probably more than anything but actually that's where i get the most satisfaction that's where i think it reaches the most people and that's where i think the whole point of diversification is is because you learn what works and what doesn't work you discard what doesn't work and you you know you double down on what does work so i think i think when it comes to 
if I were you, I would. I mean, I I advocate everybody to just create content because I was I was the antithesis. I, I used to hate the idea of getting in front of a camera until Georgie said to me, create a TikTok. And then now I now it's just part of what I do. And I think actually, where can I create content? I can do a clip here, I can do a thing here. And I actually enjoy the process of doing it. Um and 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 it's interesting we said earlier about kind of YouTube and stuff like that. I don't put the time into figuring out SEO and what's the best clickbaity title and how do I get, I'm, I'm just creating content that I think is useful and I'm putting it on there. That, that's the key, isn't it? If you're, if you're creating content that, that you enjoy, and that's a big distinction. So when, when I started doing YouTube videos during the, the lockdown, I had the opposite experience. I, I actually really did not enjoy the process the process of setting everything up and the lighting mm -hmm. wasn't right and it didn't look the way that I wanted to. And then the camera turns off 30 minutes and you haven't mm -hmm. realized so on, so on. And I found that really frustrating. And I identified podcasting. I feel comfortable with that. I feel that's where what aligns with my skill sets. I enjoy listening to podcasts. This this makes sense to me. But with going back to the public speaking teaching, on the flip side, one of the great things is that I use the platform. Yes, they take a commission, but it's entirely passive in that all, all of my time is just required for the, the communication with the client and giving that session. So I don't have to publicize. I don't have to create a website. So there is that side to it that, that it is then truly a side hustle. I'm not trying to make it into something something bigger. So that's what I, that's the next step for me. If I were to make it into something bigger and try to find more clients would i have the time to teach them would i try and get someone else on board there are loads of ideas and and potential for expansion but for now it's it's going all right but i'll i'll take your encouragement and maybe try to start making you know some short form content i think you should i i <laughs> think you should um so what how did you get into teaching public speaking then what's uh, what kind of credentials do you have? How did you get to the point where you even know how to teach people how to speak in public? Sure. So when the pandemic happened, I got a pen and paper and I just thought, what can I do? Because initially when the pandemic happened, I thought I am an opera singer. That is what I do. I don't do anything else. And I was listening to people like Dave Ramsey saying, do this, do that. I'm, I'm a singer. That's what I do. I can't do anything else. And so it took the the pandemic to hit everyone like a wave for me to say, I, I need to diversify. This is a time to diversify my my portfolio, not my investment portfolio, my, my life portfolio. And I came up with lots of silly ideas, one being the podcast. I, I did some other online services like accountability partnership, just try my hand at anything. And Public speaking came up where I thought I have I have a degree in voice, so I understand about communication. I've had my own struggle. So I used to be incredibly shy meeting people, big, big introvert. And I've gone through somewhat of a, a transition here. Maybe I could help someone. And I started with a very lovely client. I was teaching her for five dollars, right? Five dollars an hour, which is basically teaching her for free. But she's very intelligent and she understood that I was just using it as a as a chance to experiment and see, can I do this? Uh, so we were helping each other. And I realized that I could 
I could do this. I could listen to what people were saying. I could make suggestions about their their intonation or how they stress words or how they use their voice. And it just ever so steadily, more and more clients came and I, I started to take more of an interest in it. So I think ultimately people resonate with my story of being super shy, identifying that I don't like this this feeling of wanting to to hide away because there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, oh, okay, well, well, Brian and Joshua, they've they've made a, a YouTube video, they've done it, they can do that, but I, I'm too shy, I can't do that, and it takes that step to to do it. But a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing it, and they get in their own heads, and they're not able to to overcome that barrier. So it's just a case of giving feedback, and it's really interesting for me as someone that is self-employed works in the arts so working with a really big variety of people but then yesterday working with this guy that is in a very very senior position at a hugely corporate company and it's just another world and it's fascinating for me but what's most fascinating is that these worlds have more similarities than we realize and Mm -hmm. i'm able to take what i've learned from my degree my master's and and just being in the in the theatre land, taken into this sometimes quite dry corporate environment, and just inject something new and say, "No, you can't, you can't be that dull. You've got to, you've got to dress this up. You've got to make it a bit more exciting if people want to to listen to you and be inspired." And people like having that that feedback, which is you know, it's it's, it's nice to be able to help. That's really cool. I, I like the idea of learning to speak. Um, better especially in public because I'm definitely at heart an introvert um, oh, I quite like I, I I like my own time I if I were to choose of speaking in public or not I wouldn't so but whenever I do it I afterwards really enjoy it um and especially for something I know uh, about like back when one of my first jobs was being a bartender and I got quite good at that. And my job was to train people on how to bartend. Um, and a big part of that was teaching groups of people. And the idea of it, um, I hated. I hated the idea of standing in front of a group of people and talking about something, even though I knew it like the back of my hand. Like yeah. same thing to do with money. Yeah. I would do it if I had to go and stand of in front of a thousand people and talk about money i know you know i talk about stuff every day so it's i'd have no issues actually physically doing it but it's the anticipation of it it's the oh well, how am i going to phrase this how do i do this and it's interesting you say about kind of tone and inflections and when you say certain things and that's something that doesn't even cross my mind i just speak but that's that can work as well sometimes people get up far too much entangled by their own thoughts which which isn't mm. helpful but I, I think you're a really good communicator but for you as well key is to to do it to practice you turn up you will have seen yourself i'm imagining you edited your own videos and podcasts mm-hmm. at some point hearing your own voice thinking well that sounds a little bit naff i'll try it a bit differently next time and that inevitably helps the way that you you create and the way that you speak more spontaneously but it's a, it's a good training seeing yourself. It's horrible, but you learn yeah. a lot doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's definitely an unconscious process in the sense that um, editing your own stuff, and especially recording TikTok videos, because I think for me that because it's short form, you have to condense what you're saying down into really kind of absorbable content quickly. Um, 
So if you say, if you, you might like waffle on a little bit about something and you go, oh, that doesn't sound good, re-record it. So, and then that could potentially take you a long time and you think this is not worth, to create a 30 second TikTok is not worth an hour of my time. So how do I get better? And you're right, actually. And I haven't really thought about it like that, but actually it kind of naturally evolves into potentially, a, you just get better at saying the things that you want to say in a more succinct way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the really nice thing about it that, that's bizarre is that when you start, you listen to these personal finance podcasts or development podcasts, and people are always encouraging you to develop, to hone your skills, to do the best that you can. And I found myself now teaching so many more of those people that they said, I read this book, or I, I'll, I'll just the way that I do the coaching is I often ask spontaneous questions to get people thinking on their feet. The amount of times that crypto comes up or uh, personal investments or wealth management, it's, it's uncanny, but really? for a reason. And I find that very fascinating. That is quite fascinating. So I'm, like, I'm getting, getting paid now to, to learn a little bit about someone who's a software developer, a crypto miner or whatever. Like, this yeah. is interesting. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> So obviously that's one of your sort of main side hustles. What would you say to somebody who works a nine to five style job um, and is maybe even hasn't even thought about a side hustle? What would, what would your, um, what would your positive outlook on side hustles be? And what would you, if you wanted to convince somebody to do a side hustle, what would the pros be? So a caveat to that, first of all, I think that not everyone is is made to do a side hustle. And it, maybe it's not within your, your personality. If you're working in a full-time job, I think it's always advisable to see, can you pick up extra hours? Can you do overtime? Can you increase your salary? Though That's always a good starting point. However, taking on a, a side hustle project doesn't have to necessarily immediately be about making making money it could be i want to take this new interest this this hobby this something that i'm interested in to spend some time to learn about that to share that with people or, or create a business and maybe one day it will monetize that's effectively what's happened to my my podcast where i had a had a passion i enjoyed talking to other people i was very consistent. I just turned up every Wednesday and did an episode, even when no one was listening. And believe me, no one was listening when I first started. Mm. No I one. saw on your Instagram last month that you reached 100,000 downloads of your podcast. That's quite an achievement. Yeah. And I, I, I feel really pleased about that because I think it's just a, a perfect example that we get obsessed about how many people are listening and how many people are tuning in. But just turning up works so long as as you're i think if you're getting feedback on how people are responding to that occasionally not obsessing about it and you get some other basic things right so if we're talking about a podcast your sound quality has to be a certain level my sound quality could be much better i'm not gonna lie but it's it's decent enough for people to engage with and yeah I was I was really pleased with that. That felt like a real milestone, hundred thousand downloads, and I think it's just testament to to turning up. And had I 
had I started out and said, I must get 100,000 downloads in three months, I, I would have given up. And there were moments where mm-hmm. I did think about packing it all in, but I thought I'll just keep keep going because I do enjoy doing this. Consistency beats talent every yeah. time. Yeah, showing up in you relationship with your audience, which is what you're very interesting. It's exactly what you're doing. And even now, since our last conversation, because I'm hearing your voice every week as you turn up, I I know what's going on with you. There's a relationship formed. There's a familiarity. And I, I mm. think that's what it's all about, isn't it? Creating relationships with people where they can they can hear your voice. But that, that's the weirdest thing, right? It's people are hearing your voice 100,000 times or how many thousand mm. times and, and you, you're you not really aware of that. <laughs> it is strange. In fact, I did, I, I worked at a wedding a couple of weeks ago with Georgie to help her out because I get roped into it because I was a bartender years ago. Anything drink or cocktail related, I get dragged into it. And um, I bumped into one of the staff members and she said, oh, um, it's weird seeing you because I hear your voice in the podcast. And I just <laughs> thought for me, that was just the weirdest experience ever because it's weird to think that people listen to you, know what's going on in your life. But I do that with you. I do that with yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone. So, I listen to the podcast. Like, no, I listen to, I've listened to Joe Rogan's podcast for probably 10 years now. Um, and it's crazy how much it feels like I have a relationship with him or, um, you know, out of the other 20 so podcasts I listen to, if I were to bump into them in the street, you could actually have a conversation with them about what's going on in their life because yeah, you've yeah. heard you heard them speaking yesterday. So and that's why I love podcasts and that's why I'm glad that you put all your effort into podcasting and why I'm putting a lot more of my effort into podcasting myself. Because not only is it enjoyable, I learn more because it forces me to dive into a subject even more because potentially you're talking by yourself for 40 minutes on some episodes. So you kind of have to be able to speak for 40 minutes. It's not it's, it's not hard to just spitball 40 minutes worth of content from your head. So you have to do some sort of research uh, in the topic that you're talking about. Um, so I absolutely love this kind of form of content. And, you know, anybody who has a passion about anything, I urge them to write it down, distill their ideas, you know, get yourself in front of a camera. Yeah, yeah it's, it's happened. That's yeah. Even if a- you don't want to be an influencer, like I am now technically an influencer, I get paid by brands to make content. You said that to me two years ago. My idea of an influencer was Kim Kardashian selling makeup on Instagram. It seems like an odd thing to say, but if you can do something that you're passionate about and monetize it, then you need to do it. But it makes me think, I watched a documentary the other day, a Channel 4 documentary, about I think it was called Broke, Broke Britain or something like that. It's it's quite a new one. And of of course, it's all about the cost of living crisis and the number of people who are now going to food banks um, who are on universal credit. and I, I really like watching stuff like that because it reminds me of um, why I'm doing what I'm doing, but also because I think in my previous job, I encountered poverty, actual poverty, quite a lot. And now I don't because um, I'm in my own little bubble of being self-employed. So I like reminding myself of the realities of things. I try not to watch too much news because it's just, you know, clickbait the other way. But seeing all of these people in what is you know relative poverty going to food banks who potentially were on full-time jobs before everything that we talked about on that documentary was how to save money mm. how um i think it was 
the average person on the show was getting five, six hundred pounds a month in universal credit. And they were going to citizen advice and they're having, you know, chatting to the to these um, sort of debt counsellors. And they, all they were saying is how they can stretch what they have. And I was shouting at the screen and Georgie was as well. Why are we not talking about how to make more money? Why are we not explaining that you can make more money? It's not this like big slice of pizza that the rich people have the majority and you've got nothing. You, like, I just want to shake the media and people who talk about debt and lack of money, because I felt like this before, is you can make more money. And part of that could be side hustle. And part of that can be, you know, getting a job where there's a career projection. But why are we not spreading the message as a society that people can make more money? Like, it, it, it's not, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to think about being this multimillionaire, but you can make money doing almost anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think fear has to be a big part of it for, for, for certain. But also when when you're employed, going back to what we were saying earlier on, if you're employed, you're you're in that fixed mindset where it's very hard to, to break away. So when we go back to the side hustles to say it's possible, make it happen. For example, two days ago I had a discussion with Arena where she talk to someone else at work or, or somewhere about bookkeeping and she said i you know what i i think i could do that i'm good with numbers you can do it on the computer that's interesting so being the person that i am researched that are you you could do this qualification you can make this happen that would be an ideal side hustle now the interesting thing will be will it happen mm. and for for me as going back to that self-employed such employed mindset I would be going, oh, yeah, I can make this happen. And the likelihood of it, it happening might be more probable than the employed person. Now, I will keep uh, checking in with her and just replanting that idea from time to time. Saying, Is this something that you want to do? But I think it's important, mostly, if you have an idea, going from being an idea to making it happen is a massive jump. That is a big, big, big difference. So if you're someone that has an idea... And you set up that camera and you press record. Good. That's mm -hmm. awesome. But post it. Make it happen. <laughs> because having the idea doesn't doesn't really get, get you anywhere. You've got to actually start it to and, and that's the, the part that's missing, right? Well, I think years ago, before the internet, it was so accessible, you know, on your phone, uh, you can ask any question. You don't even have to type it now. You can just say it. The fact that all of this information is so accessible, whether it's money, side hustles, how to, you know, new career path, whatever it is, potentially there's an overwhelm of information, but all the information is there. So like, that's why I focus so much on kind of building, well, I talk about investing, not as much as other people, but I talk about it enough because I'm trying to make people realize that it's possible to be, to be quote unquote rich, like, and it's not this greedy banker it's you can do that like it doesn't matter what you are whether you're in universal credit now you can be relative to your current situation or what you want to be rich or wealthy or financially free or whatever call it whatever you want you can do it so i get frustrated when we're on the, we're stuck in this lack of mindset and i i guess i understand you talked about a second ago it's that self-employed worry about taking risk 
I, I definitely felt that before, but if the information is there and it's pushed upon you that you can do it, that's what I think people need to be focusing on, especially like, and that's why I brought up that documentary because the professionals who were trying to help these people and granted them like citizens advice definitely help people, but it was all about kind of getting, you know, potentially get an IVA or consolidate your loan or there wasn't one sentence in the entire documentary that was like, how can we earn more money? Yeah, and that, you know that's you speak about that. I can hear the passion in your voice, which is just fantastic. But as someone that this is very interesting, right? As someone that talks about money all the time, particularly at the moment in the cost of living crisis, I feel like I'm treading ever so carefully on what do I say? You know, I don't want to, don't want to offend, or I don't want to say. You know, what happens if I say it's possible, and they say no, it's not. I'm in debt. I'm on benefits. How dare you? And that's where actually the the, the gift for me of running the Art of Money Saving podcast, I get people coming onto the podcast and they say, I I've done it. I was in debt. I was on benefits. I, and this is how I, and I just love having the the ability to share those individual stories because. It, it it separates it from me because I haven't I haven't been on benefits I haven't gone through that myself and I understand the mechanics of it but maybe not the emotions and mm-hmm. that's that's where people's personal personal financial stories make make a massive massive difference but I, I you're you're right to to bang this drum and I I I share your your frustrations but but it's it's a it's a frustration of encouragement, isn't it? Because you you want people to to do well. You want people to know that there's an there's an option for them there, and and that, that things can can and and could and will get better. Yeah, and I think the way that you're doing it in the sense of sharing people's stories is definitely an effective way because people people can relate to the voice that they're hearing on the podcast on the other side. Um, you know, like the podcast we had before. I was talking to you about how. I was in, you know, over £5,000 worth of debt and I managed to get myself out of it and now I create content about money and, you know, what, what appears to be, oh, he, he, for, well, the problem is, going back to a conversation I had with um, Jennifer Kempson a couple of episodes ago and it was great, about, great thank you, <laughs> uh, and we talked about how, well, I talked about how when you get a bigger following, you're trusted less by people who potentially ask the, the gap feels like it's further away. So like when I first started creating content, I would get a lot of positive comments from people. Um, oh, thank you so much. This is really helpful. And I still get those comments now, but they get washed away in the sea of TikTok comments um, of people saying exactly what I just said there. Like you don't understand because I have, you know, more than the average TikTok person's following. I seem different. I seem like I've had, you know, I'm, I'm rich. I, I, I can't possibly understand what it's like to be in debt or, and, and that's the frustration of um, getting better at creating content creates a bigger gap to the person you're trying to help. That's, that's the struggle that I'm feeling now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but with the podcast, at least you're having that conversation and you can get real life people on. You can't really do that with TikTok. And it's me trying to get across that information. And TikTok isn't the only thing that I do. I do YouTube and obviously I do the podcast, but my reach is the biggest on TikTok. And that's the place where the reason that, you know, I talk about it in pretty much every episode I've done so far is the reason I do that is because the people who need the help are the other end of that video that they didn't click on. It just, 
you know, it's in front of them. So those are the people. And I'm certain that I've uh, reached people that needed it. And they may not have, they probably have messaged me, but they've put, at least the seed was planted um, as it was for me when, you know, who knows, maybe a video I subconsciously saw before I got into personal finance was the reason why I got into personal finance. I hope it was. And I hope a video that you create, your podcast, my video, my podcast reaches somebody who doesn't know that they need it and goes, actually, I'm going to make a change because that's the whole, re- that is the whole reason why, why we do this. Yeah. yeah, And and, and it has a, a huge impact. So I, going back to childhood, so one of the, the, the big puzzle, one other piece of the, the puzzle that was missing was investment that like we didn't talk about. When I thought about investment, I thought of you know, men in suits and, and, and risk and, and investment bankers. And it just wasn't something that I ever understood at all and had no desire to understand whatsoever either. And that's become a, a much bigger part of my financial plan now. And I have individuals to, to thank who give very sound guidance about what they what their investing mentality is and that has has shaped my my education and the way that I think about in, investing as well and I think showing up and and sharing these stories at least from my experience allows if I ever have a conversation with a colleague it allows me to realize that I am not the perfect vessel to 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 give this information out there are some people that have experiences that I don't and I can say maybe go go and listen to this this episode 50 or episode 100 with this person you'd really enjoy that and because it's me interviewing and maybe they feel comfortable with, with that or maybe it's with with someone else but I think you 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 open up that information to to people that maybe would never never hear that and it's it's a very interesting time to be doing this this thing altogether because we're in the cost of living crisis but pre-existing before that i was finding my own self-employed musician colleagues working either paycheck to paycheck or, or getting a decent salary but not having any pension at all and I, i'm i'm still convinced that a pension is is just a, an afterthought well why why do i need that and that is something that I think that that drives me is to be able to have that conversation with people that you need to you need to bridge that gap. Where are you now? Where are you going in the future? How are you going to get there? And just having that penny drop moment with people is a very interesting thing, and, and certainly inspires me to keep going and and to share more stories so that can happen to more and more people. Yeah, and by the fact that people are listening to this podcast, to your podcast they have an interest in personal finance. So, you know, talk about the stuff to people because the people who are driving the BMWs quite often um, are suffering quietly. Um, And it's, you know, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, it's very much, this is a lifestyle that I have portrayed for so long, it's hard for me to go back, especially an older generation. It must be very difficult to put your hands up and say, I'm in a bad situation. I potentially don't have much of a pension i know nothing about this money stuff i just spend whatever comes in and i talk to so many people where that is just reality and on the outside it does not look like they are struggling whether it's 
mentally as a result of finances or just their finances and they are in crippling debt behind the scenes and they just think everything's going to be okay by you listening to this podcast you are taking a positive step to you know bettering your finances talk to people like don't necessarily like pry into people's financial life that's not what i'm saying to do but talk openly about pensions talk openly about ISAs. talk talk about side hustles if that's your thing talk about whatever it is that interests you to get that spark moment hopefully with somebody who needs it but hasn't thought about it because they're stuck in this lack mindset of being in debt or whatever whatever the situation is for me it was debt and it took for a spark moment for me to be so oh my god i'm in a bad place I'm the kind of person who went and sought out this information, but there's so many people, most people just don't. So talk about it. Yeah. And by, by talking about it, then you share that information with someone else and maybe they can point you to a resource and it starts that, that process. But ultimately, as you described, it was your, your decision, wasn't it? You arrived at that moment. Dave mm-hmm. Ramsey talks about it as uh, getting tired of being sick and tired or whatever the expression yeah. Yeah, I I, th- I can resonate with that because you get to a point where you think I'm just fed up with this. There must be a solution, and it must just must be very exciting when you find this this community of people saying, "Yeah, if you if you do X, Y, and Z, there could be a solution for you here, and you you can you can sort this out." And and life is is perhaps not as gloomy as as what you thought it it might be, but it takes compromise, of course. Yes. And for me, I did have that sick of being sick and tired moment. But I think because I'm of a generation that has the internet chucked in my face from the age of 12, I've always known this access to a bank of information that has the answer to any question I could possibly want to ask. So when I put in personal finance into YouTube, um, I, before I've even done that, I know there's going to be some helpful information at the end of that. The older generation, um, the boomers, not, even though they use the internet on a daily basis, I don't think they are out there seeking this information for the average person. The people who I know who are 50s plus, who are in a poor financial situation, do not look like they're in a poor financial situation. They are the quintessential middle class that they talk about in the millionaire next door where you know the people who have got their toyota corolla out the front are the actual millionaires and the people who are driving the brand new bmw one series um and have you know the nicely mown grass and wear the nice designer clothes are the people who are struggling so hard so don't first of all judge a book by its cover because that is certainly not the reality definitely not in a country like the uk or the us where capitalism and capitalism's good i'm self-employed i like the idea that there's a free market and i can go out there and provide value and get money back something that i want more people to sort of internalize but trying to impress other people because marketing's chucked in your face um is destroying lives and like i just want this information to reach more people and that's what drives me to keep doing it that's awesome. We're doing a great job, man. And just keep keep showing up. And I'm sure that more and more people will will hear what you've got to say and, and that it's clearly it's clearly resonating with people because you're you're popping up here, there, and everywhere. I see your face and hear your <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um Joshua, it's been great talking to you. Um, where can people reach you? 
most importantly, where what's your podcast called and what sort of social media channels can uh, people reach you on? So you can reach me on the art of money saving at gmail.com. If you want to ask any questions or if you want to be a guest on my podcast, get in touch. I'm always looking for people's financial stories. And you can find the podcast anywhere and everywhere. Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. You just type it in the art of money saving and you should find me. I am on Instagram. I, I don't use it so much these days, but you can check me out if you want to. The art of money saving. And that's it, I think. Well, how many episodes into your podcast are you now? 115, I think. So, so there's plenty for people to go back and, uh, and, and work their way through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Loads. We've of had loads. some really good guests on there. I've had, I've got some like from ninety-year-olds to young, young children. So, well, I say young children, yeah. young, y- young adults. Um, yeah. The stories yeah. that you share are brilliant, and I highly recommend your podcast to anybody who's listening. And go and rate the podcast, give it a review. Thank you so much. That's always no appreciated. And uh, thanks for taking the time. Really enjoyed this conversation. Joshua, thank you.